You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Shark flew up. Oh, he's toying with him now. How are you today? Man, super excited. Wimbledon. It's over. What a time. It's over, and you you were there for part of it, at least. I know. I was there for the first week. It was awesome. Wimbledon is unlike any other. You feel like you're watching tennis in a giant garden. It's so cool. <laughs> um, so, what, where you just get bored? That's where you left after the first week? Yeah, I was like, eh. I don't too many know. seeds fell in the first round. I don't no, need I, um, Fortnite. Yeah. I went to the French Open, as we discussed, uh, but I only went for the last couple of days. It's sad at the end of the tournament. The beginning of the tournament, that's when it's so exciting. Everyone's full of hope and promise. The draws have just come out. Matchups linger instead of like are behind you. I, I really love the early days of the tournament. I love qualifying. I like kind of seeing that like, you know, era of possibility. So it is a lot more fun to go early. Yeah. Are quarters the best day? Is that the best part of the, the uh, tournament? Or, or you mean like really early on? No, no, no. I think day one is the best day. Day of the one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Everybody go day one. It's cheap. You'll see everybody, whether they're practicing or playing an early round match. And like, you know, there's some real, it means a lot, to, especially on the outer, outer courts to yeah. the people who just barely made it into the main draw. So I, yeah, early is, is way better than late, I think. Cool. And then the other thing that happened is you had, you won a <laughs> tournament yourself, right? On grass. On grass. On grass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, there's not many, but which grass tournament did you win? I'll tell you, Chris, it uh -huh. was the National Grass Court Championships. <laughs> national. Now, I should clarify, the National Grass Court Championships in the women's 30 and over division, doubles, that was the um, the bracket I was entered in and won with my, my partner and friend. Um, not huge amounts of competition. Right, right. Well, wait, lay that out. What, what well, do you mean by not huge? So this is part of the seniors. The seniors is anybody 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and occasionally 90s. So this is like adults, not league tennis, but USTA sanctioned adult tennis. They call it the seniors. And so interestingly, the draws and the competition get bigger and fiercer the older you go. Huh. Maybe with the exception of the 90s and 80s, because just candidly, there's not that many people alive anymore. But like the 40s and 50s, those draws are jam packed because think about it. Everyone's still relatively fit. A lot of people are sort of newly retired or able to have like enough work flexibility that they can like make a real showing at this. And there's just super, super, super high saturation. The women's 30s, not a ton of people in their 30s. I am I will be 38 at the end of this week. You know, not a ton of people in their 30s have the kind of flexibility where they can take a couple of days off in the middle of the week, especially if it's not near them. This happened to be in Queens at Forest Hills Westside Tennis Club, which is where they used to play the US Open, one of the few grass court um, tennis clubs in New York City. So I felt like, why not? Yeah. And so and so you won the doubles? Yeah, my friend B and I uh, won the doubles pretty handily, I think. Uh, you know, B B's a bit of a ringer. She used to play on the tour. She um, once took uh, Hennon to seven five, right? Lost. She did. Lost I think she had a couple five. Amazing. I she had a couple set points on Justine Henna. She won a couple NCAA titles. I mean, she's nothing to sneeze at. She's right. also six feet tall and has got like a hundred twenty mile an hour serve. <laughs> you know. So as they say, the first rule of doubles is partner selection. I did a good job there. 
But yeah, I had my own, and we had um, we had some good matches. We played a, a woman who used to play on the ITF circuit, a couple other collegiate athletes, such as myself. You know, it was fun. More than anything else, honestly, playing on grass is just such a treat, and it's really hard to play on grass if you're not a member of a fancy club, which I am not. So this is a rare opportunity to get to do that because it's just so special. Yeah, and and another Division One athlete had a good week. Kevin Anderson, who I had forgotten, played at the University of Illinois. How weird. That's right. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Good. And while we're mentioning tall American, John Isner was a University of Georgia Bulldog. That's right. Like for all. Less fun to root for him, but he (laughs) did play for all four years for UGA. (laughs) Um, Okay. So for this week, we, and by we, I mean you talked with with our friend Sean. Friend of the pod. Friend of the farm. Right. Right. Who left WNYC to start a Djokovic fanzine. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which was a, b- a really bold career move. But there were some technical difficulties. So not only am I not in this, which is no tragedy, but we also lost the top of the interview. So I just want to lay out the groundwork, which is that you and Sean were already having a rollicking conversation about tennis commentators and how they were dancing around uh, Djokovic's, per- quote, personal problems, end quote. Sean, noted Djokovic fan, was the one to bring up the rumored infidelity and the difficulty that Boris Becker and John McEnroe were having describing it. Not me. Right. Right. Um, Which is an important distinction to make. So everyone listen with that in mind. Djokovic has come out and been like, stay out of my life. You have no idea who I am and what's going on with me and my wife. But they're like still sort of nudging him. They're still ribbing him and, and trying to present this theory that like Novak cheated. And it destroyed his entire career. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of bananas. I mean, as we've said before, whether or not that's true, obviously we're not in a position to, I mean, we're certainly in a position to speculate, but we're not in a position to report. That said, I feel like it's kind of a, it's like a, it, it speaks well of him if he in fact had an affair and had a crisis because of it. No? That's a great, that's a great nuance take that I could have never provided because I've never been married nor <laughs> cheated on a wife or spouse. So thank you for that. I, I think you're right. That means what I've been thinking, it confirms what I've, what I've argued all along, which is he's one of tennis's brightest shining souls. <laughs> I can't tell if you're being serious, but your love of no, well, I mean knows- it. you know, you know, my, my take on, on, on the Joker is that he's like the most fun and he's got like the most character and, and, you know, I mean, if, if his character also involves, like, succumbing to infidelity, but then having a total emotional and physical and professional crisis, spiritual. I think it only adds, spiritual, it only adds to, to my theory. I mean, I have to say, having just watched the Boris Becker documentary on Netflix, it's in German, but bear with it, because it's worth it. <laughs> and what I know of John McEnroe, like, you would, has... you would. <laughs> you would watch a German documentary about Boris Becker, and indeed I have. And it's pretty good. Uh, you know, these guys are no strangers to uh, the boudoir. Like, they're, they they have no problem. And I do not think either of them had a, an emotional, spiritual, financial, uh, and physical crisis because of it. So, you know, mm. credit to him if in, case, if in fact that happened and if in fact that was his reaction. But you gotta, you got to be happy with Novak. Did you think coming into this that he was a contender? Like, had you been like, okay, he's back, he seems injury-free, like he's, he's looking good in these warm-up tournaments? Like, having followed the ebbs and flows of Novak's career in the last, like, year and a half since it all kind of fell apart, did you start, were you feeling good about this? Did you think it was possible? Not really. I wasn't thinking of him as a serious contender. I, I, I noticed in the past, I mean, 
six months, him playing better and presenting better and looking a little more confident. But the air of like inevitability around Federer, especially after last year's Wimbledon, was was sort of compelling to me. Like he took off the French Open to come back and and crush Wimbledon, and I just figured that's what would happen. I didn't I didn't believe that he was flagging physically in any real way, which I think we found out he was. So, so no, I mean, I figured like there was a fair chance that we'd have this 10 year anniversary Rafa Roger rematch, you know? Oh yeah. I guess it would. That's why the documentary happened. I can't tell you, I'm, you know, as we know, I'm not an enormous Novak fan, but I cannot tell you how thrilled I was that Roger was not on the final. Is that right? Because you're sick of it? Yeah, I mean, I'm a Roger fan in terms of, like, his game. It's beautiful. It's, like, the platonic ideal of tennis. But I find dominance so boring. It is such a snooze fest. I was even ready to root for Rafa, who I'd normally never root for, just because I wanted somebody else to win this thing other than Roger. So when Kevin Anderson took him out in the quarters, I was thrilled. And I was thrilled that Kevin Anderson made it to the final after that. And, you know... I I wanted Djokovic to win. I I needed Djokovic to win to <laughs> sort of complete his story. This story of like a fall from grace and then a return to victory, as he said after winning on like tennis's ultimate stage. And he did it. And I then I and then I heard Kevin Anderson speak so eloquently and like such a good sportsman in defeat, in brutal defeat, in straight set brutal, brutal defeat after fighting so hard in his previous two matches against Federer and Isner. And I kind of felt like, man, you might not get another shot at this. And I, I feel a little guilty for so thoroughly rooting against you. And that's <laughs> when I had some sort of epiphany, which was, all right, Djokovic, he had this insane reign and he had this, you know, epic fall. And now he's had this redemption and I'm done with him. I don't need to see him win ever again. I want Kevin Anderson to win <laughs> a Grand Slam, and I really hope that it's I hope that it's Wimbledon next year. Wow, you know, I think you're my favorite guest that we have. Uh, maybe you're not Chris's. My wife is Chris's favorite guest. Go figure. <laughs> he calls her podcast gold. Uh, you're my favorite because I never know remotely what you're going to say, and so you're telling me not only. Uh, are you now closing the book on Novak? Not moving past him, but just you, you feel like the, the story has been completed. The last chapter has been written, if it needs to be. Kevin Anderson is your guy now. I, mean, I don't know if he's my guy, but like I was really impressed with him. I watched, I, because as the host of a successful daily news podcast, I didn't <laughs> get to watch a lot of Wimbledon during the day. But um SB Nation, with whom Box shares an office, they they had Wimbledon on one TV and the World Cup on the other. And I somehow was able to watch Anderson's match with Isner, his epic match with Isner. And I I, I took a real shine to him. I was rooting for him that whole match. Uh, oh, and, yeah, same. And, and then the way he conducted himself, the way he came back in that third set, it was, I mean, it was, he played better in the third set, which I think Novak also admitted in the post-game interviews, in the post-match interviews. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then unfortunately lost in the tiebreak. But I, I mean, he showed a real tenacity and, and, and I it just, he lost with such class. I mean, a moment that I kept replaying in my head, I'd love to hear what you thought of it. And, and if you noticed it, which I'm sure you did, 
was when on set point, on like the fourth set point for Anderson in that third set, the crowd thought that Novak hit the ball long. But mm-hmm. Anderson knew he didn't, so he played it. And the crowd let out, like, in unison, this huge, like, <laughs> And when Novak subsequently won the point, he went up to the chair umpire and he said, tell them to shut the fuck up. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? Not only did I see it, it's now a widely referenced gif across Twitter. Oh, that's so funny. So I, I, I spend so much time on Twitter now for work that like I, I just watch that match the old-fashioned way, like by myself on on a screen without any other screen. You know what the I mean? The way like, tennis I is love... meant to be enjoyed, Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Alone and on the screen. I over breakfast by myself in my home, and <laughs> I was I, they replayed it once. McEnroe and whomever else had the decency to not put Novak on the spot for using coarse language and being a little bit of a baby in that moment, I thought. But then I kept thinking about it, like, all day. Like, was he in the right? Like, the crowd's reaction in that moment could have meant the set and maybe subsequently the match for him. Mm-hmm. Was he right to lose his temper in that moment? Because he certainly did. It's a good question. And I think uh, this kind of speaks to why some people don't like Novak. Not that he's the only I know, one. I know. Uh, you know, Federer kind of like famously can get contemptuous and ask the crowd to shut up as well. Like he's kind of a brat as well on occasion. Um, and it's hard to separate with the Novak stuff because like any time I've ever talked about Novak either on Twitter or like on the podcast, I've got a bunch of pro Novak fans being like, you're biased, you hate him. I'm like, not really, not any more than any of them, really. Uh, I mean, I have like my favorites I really reserve for the women's tour because I think that's like kind of on par like more interesting but um i i do feel like it's kind of one point that the pro novak fans and they are intense on twitter have is that like i think the british crowd fucking hates him and they hate him Mm -hmm. because he is like murray's foil more than i mean i think they love federer they love the tradition i think they've accepted rafa as like uh, an acceptable sort of champion. And I think they fucking hate Novak Djokovic. So it's kind of hard to separate those things from, you know, hit, like, is this an okay reaction just because you're stressed and it can mean the match? Like, I don't know if you remember watching noted WTA match, uh, Carolina Pliskova. I think she's playing Serena Sestea um, or whoever it was. It was third set, five all, 30 yeah. all. The, she hits an overhead about a foot inside the sideline. There's a gif of it, again, on the internet, widely searchable, gets the call, goes against her. She loses her shit. And after the loses the next couple points, loses the game and starts hacking the umpire's chair with her racket, like actually puts a hole in it. Oh, my God. It was fucking awesome. It was crazy. I mean, she's kind of like uh, sort of dissed a little bit for being a bit robotic and quiet. But this is so fucking badass because she just like Terminator style, like grew an extra arm and just started like whacking down the fucking umpire chair chair and put a hole in yeah. it. Like that's literally taking money, points, prestige, results out of her hand. Like there's no way she was going to lose that match or very little. And it was over from that moment on with a incredibly unjust call. So I totally get how in that moment it feels life or death and you'll cut somebody. You know what I mean? 
That yeah. said, he is kind of a wanted Brett. So, like, I'm not super pleased with the way he comported himself in the championship, especially as he noted, because it was against Kevin Anderson, who, by all accounts, is, like, the nicest human being ever. His but, game I mean, am I wrong to think that? He really, no, he really, he's he really a gentleman, that way. Oh yeah, for sure. I think both in the way that he that he uh, comported herself, himself in this tournament, but also remember he made a U.S. Open final um, last year. He played Rafa. He didn't put up much of a fight there either, um, and not no. because of like crazy long matches before, just because I think he was really outmatched. But like he's a contender, and whether he's got it in him to win a Grand Slam, as as you're hoping for, I certainly hope so. But either way, like he is a nice dude. Plus, one thing that I always love about a male athlete is like when they marry like a badass lady and he has a totally badass, nice, also collegiate athlete wife. They met as, as NCAA division one athletes at the university of Illinois. She was a golfer. He was a tennis player and they've been together ever since. And she's like his manager. So like, it's cool. And, and he so sincerely thanked her first. He was just like, I just want to say to my beautiful wife and like, I don't know, something about the way, like, Novak throws to his team and his wife and his son, even his son, and this is, like, a fucked up, judgy thing to say. <laughs> After seeing him, like, scream at the, like, ump to tell the crowd to shut the fuck up, like, it doesn't seem sincere. The way, like, after watching him win the U.S. Open and put on, like, his FDNY hat and, like, shout-outs to 9-11 in the fire oh department. Oh, my God. It seems- finally happened, Sean. You turned on your boy. You turned on I haven't turned on him, but I'm not, like, blind to the things I think Smack of insincerity, either, <sighs> and and I'm, 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 my love for anything is in uniform, you know, and my love for Novak is, you know, I want to see Novak beat Rafa, I want to see him get to the final, I want to see him have this redemption story, but I'm also like, are you less sincere than Kevin Anderson, and like, I don't want to ever see you win again, or I don't ever need to see you win again because I want to you... make a note, July, yeah. What is it, 15th, 2018? I think it's the 16th, though. You've become a tennis fan. Today, you've become a tennis fan. You've moved beyond being just a fan of a player. You're a real tennis fan. Partisan. I want what's good for the game. You want what's good for the game. You want the best points possible. You want to elevate sportsmanship over fanship. I love it. I feel like I don't want to take credit for this, but I'm so happy that I'm getting to witness it because I feel like we've seen a real evolution. And this is why you've got to be like, I just want to introduce you to like the first round matches between Alizé Cornet and fucking Camilla Georgie next year. You know what I mean? Like I want to get you into like the weird corners of this sport. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, take me there. Take me there. Cause you know what? Like it only gets weirder and cooler. Like the deeper you go, like you go to like court 18 on the outer grounds. Like that's when you got a battle and like, one girl's dad is coughing to interrupt the service motion of the other one. The other one's got the French Federation giving her signals. Like, that shit is crazy. And, like, that's the kind I, of shit that, I'm like, in. being a true tennis fan, like, you know, you, like, totally can appreciate. So let's make a pact. City Open, somehow, some way, we're going to interrupt your successful podcast taping schedule and somehow get you on one of those outer courts just watching a little bit of tennis with me. Because I feel like now you're ready. You're really ready. Your eyes are, you're, you're, the scales have fallen from your eyes. If there's any way, I'll be there. And and before we conclude, I just want to say to any English tennis fans listening, you should be thankful that Novak Djokovic gave Andy Murray his first Wimbledon title. You're welcome. <laughs> Wait a second. Before we go, you have to you have to elaborate on that. You can't just add another kind of a grenade. What? 
Well, wait, I mean, is it crazy to hate Novak because he's Andy's foil when, if anything, Novak collapsing is how Andy won his, his, his first Grand Slam title? I guess right he on the did. He kind of collapsed. I mean, you're not wrong. I think he just gave it to him. I think he it was, was like, like was straight like, sets, it. wasn't it? Did he win a fucking? Did he lose a set? No, that? no, no. It wasn't. I don't think it was straight sets. Oh, it wasn't his first. Sorry, his first Grand Slam was the U.S. Open, but his first Wimbledon. Wimbledon, which was, is oh, more it important. was straight sets. You're it was straight right. sets. I'm, I'm wrong on both. He just, you know, Novak has it in him. He was just like, you know what? And he needs it more than I do because, like me, Novak wanted what was best for the game. You know what? What a beautiful place to end this. It's I forgot the game. To straight sets, though. What a fucking shit show. <laughs> this is why. Look, I'm not. We didn't get into like why the men's game is kind of butts right now, but like, you got to be honest with me. A fifth set that goes past six all, right? Am I right? Tie break that fucking shit right there. <laughs> Wait, you didn't enjoy watching like two and a half hours of the fifth set between Isner and Anderson? Can I tell you, on Friday, I was playing a tennis match. I was playing a match in the 30 and over National Grass Court Championships, NBD. We took the court 13-all. We came off the court at 19-all. Wow. Right? You called it. I mean, I played an entire match in the teens section of that fifth set. That is some boring-ass <laughs> shit. Okay, fair, fair. I think it's like the beauty of Wimbledon. I know this interview has already concluded, but I think <laughs> that's like the magic of this one tournament that like they're, they're sticks in the mud about their fifth set tiebreak. <laughs> <laughs> and they won't. But they I know that, I know that players play are calling for it. But did you say, do you call it a men's Wimbledon? Is that, is the women's, do the women have a tiebreak? No, but they also don't okay. play five sets. Right, right, right. Yeah, I yeah, feel like something's yeah. got to give. If you're going to make everyone play to conclusion in the last set, at least let the dudes play three sets. It's so, like, I've never minded a fifth set. It's the third and fourth set that bother me. Those things are fucking pointless. You ever see it in exciting? But as, like, as the editor-in-chief of Racket Mag, you're, you're better to answer this question, but, like, when I heard Isner and Anderson, or, no, I didn't, I didn't hear Anderson do it, but when I heard Isner calling for the end of this, like, tradition, like, it's I was kind of surprised. I didn't know. I thought everyone was on, like, team tradition. Is everyone on team end the tradition, or is it, like, a contentious debate? I think most people are on team end the tradition, and huh. I think the players, knowing that, like, whether they get rid of five sets or not, which is, like, probably never going to happen, it's more like they can't guarantee an entertaining match out of anybody after one of these marathons happens you know what i mean mm. like everyone was like yeah, oh yeah, cool yeah. isner won 70 to 68 it's like yeah those guys lost like i think mahu lost his next doubles match handily and isner lost pretty bad in straight sets the next match like it's just it ruins you right like not yeah. to mention the tournament the, the tournament schedule for these guys is 11 months long it's just like bananas like you know if you don't want them juicing if you don't want them taking off large stretches of the season, which I'm not opposed to at all. I think it was really smart of both uh, Roger to do it and Rafa did, to do it last uh, last year. Like, fucking yeah. do it, dude. It's like, I want the best possible tennis when you come back. I don't want to be like, oh, bummer, Vavrinka showed up, but he, like, could barely hold his racket. You know what I mean? So yeah, right, right, right. If the season wasn't 11 months long, I'd be like, yeah, okay, play until one of you collapses from, you know, uh, exhaustion. But it is long, and you got to be like, oh, cool, how's, how's that guy going to recover, not only for his next match, but, like, is that going to fuck the rest of his year? And it kind of feels like the answer more often than not is yes. You know? hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. 
You you are making a compelling argument. For but I love the, the fact uh, that you're the stick in the mud guy. No, stay with it. You're, I'm seeing kind of through fresh eyes talking to you, Sean. That's one of my favorite things about our friendship. Wow. Wow. That's beautiful. I'm so touched because I know you talk to a lot of people about tennis. So thank you. I do. It's but like I know that job. I can turn to you for encyclopedic knowledge. So kudos, you know what? hat tips, brava. This is um this is a real symbiotic relationship, uh, and it's a delight. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's make a deal. I'll see you in person, and then please come back on the show when Kevin Anderson wins a Grand Slam. Oh, my God. It'd be my honor. <laughs> okay. Sean Rose Thank you for your time.